I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high-quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere. You know, the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this. Talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. Hi, I'm Chanti. And I'm Lynx, and you're listening to Muses. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Muses, the podcast all about the inspiring women in rock and roll, including wives, girlfriends, groupies, lovers, and mothers. Yes, this is kind of a different episode for us, and I'm excited to hear all about this. I'm glad you thought of this because um, I know that girl and his mama are going to have a TV show coming out soon. So, well, apparently the first episode was released May sixth. Oh, oh, yes, okay. we're so, a little behind. Then. So, if anybody is wondering what we're talking about today, I'm going to be covering Muse's mothers, inspiring mothers, really influential in getting and supporting the career of their. Son, talented daughter yeah. child um and for those who don't know we actually interviewed a mama once yeah that was so <laughs> much fun yeah so you can check back in old episodes for an interview with agnes demarco mac demarco's mom and she's amazing and a lot of fun so please check that out yes if you haven't so for this episode, I went back and looked at the book from Cradle to Stage, Story from Stories from the Mothers Who Rocked and Raised Rock Stars by Virginia Hanlon Grohl. So it's this book that this unscripted series directed by Dave Grohl is streaming now. It's on Paramount Plus. 
So it's not a streaming service that I have. So I haven't been able to watch it. I saw the trailer. It looks lovely. And it really just looks like a video version of this awesome book that she released in 2017. Cool. Yeah. So they released it on Mother's Day in the U.S. Yeah. Nice. Yep. I was lucky lucky enough to meet Virginia Grohl. She signed my copy. We were at Canadian Music Week a couple of years ago, and I scored a ticket, and I waited, and I was front row center, and I was sitting a foot from Dave Grohl and his mom, Virginia. (laughs) And then afterwards, I met her, and she signed my book, and I gave her a little card, and so cute yeah she I, also, I love that he involves her in this and you know did a special project with her and continues to it's just so cool I love it yeah so in the unscripted series from cradle to stage they go through six musicians and their respective mothers interviewing them and chatting with them and going on a little road trip and as we'll see through this Virginia has been on the road with Dave not so much in his early years but a little bit uh, but definitely lately with you know Foo Fighters and their band and their families it's a real family experience experience these days that's so cool I love it so shall we begin by learning a little bit about Virginia Hanlon I would love to yeah Okay. She was raised in an old farmhouse on six acres of land in Youngstown, Ohio. Cool. Her father purchased it when he finished his service in Iwo Jima and Japan after the Second World War. They didn't have a television, and Virginia's memories center around playing on the property, their porch, and family gatherings inside the kitchen. She describes her upbringing as wholesome. Now, COVID-19 wasn't the first time Virginia and her family have had to quarantine because they had their first experience with doing so when her mother became a victim of the polio epidemic in 1949 before making a full recovery. Wow. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago that polio was an issue, like a big issue. Yeah. Apparently they had to have a sign on their door saying in quarantine. Wow. Virginia always loved to sing. She had a clear, perfectly pitched mezzo-soprano voice and started her own girl group with two of her high school friends, Sherry and Geraldine. Oh my God, that's so cool. They named themselves the Three Bells. They built a repertoire of pop music standards. They played the Women's Club, the Lions Club, the Kiwanis Club, all the clubs, and of course, local events. Virginia arranged the music for the trio, figuring out the harmonies and solo parts for all of the girls. Once she went to university, she attended Ohio Wesleyan University and sang in the women's chorus. She says that when she was blessed with her two children, she had a new trio. And so that's how Dave Grohl came to discover a harmony. Dave recalls a hot summer day driving through Springfield, Virginia in their Ford Maverick. The year was 1975. Dave was six years old, and of course, they were listening to music in their car when Carly Simon's You're So Vain came on the radio. Virginia and Dave were both singing, and then their voices split into harmony. Virginia took Mick Jagger's lower line while Dave took Carly's high lead vocal. This was a life-changing and affirming moment for Dave. He says... 
This moment is burned in my heart and mind as my first love. My musical big bang, if you will. Hell, this was the chicken and the egg. From that moment on, I heard life with an entirely new set of ears. I scoured the radio for harmony. Songs became more than songs. They became my toys. They became my puzzles. Some became my best friends. Some became my worst enemies. I was fascinated, enraptured, obsessed. I was hooked. Ah, I love it. It's so cool that he can specifically remember like the life changing moment, you know, not a lot of people remember that they're like, they usually don't stand out you realize after like, oh, yeah, but that's so cool. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Dave coming into this world. On January 14th, 1969, David Eric Grohl was born in Warren, Ohio. There was a group of resident physicians present, and this was going to be their first birth that these new doctors would experience. So when Dave came into the world, he was greeted by applause. (laughs) Virginia says, the first sound David Grohl heard. Makes sense. (laughs) As a child, he was, as you'd expect, happy, goofy, funny. There was always music in their house. Virginia loved Motown and Mozart. Her daughter, Lisa, brought home David Bowie and Husker Du. And to that, Dave added Metallica and Black Flag. The three of them sang together, made up songs together. There was always music. Cool. Yep. So nice that Dave's mom, Virginia, who wrote this book, you know, she was a teacher for many years and she got to experience like, traveling with him. And now she got to write this book and do these interviews. It just seems so nice and rounded for her and great to put her, her life into this kind of perspective. Yes, exactly. And highlight how important these relationships are, you know, yes. cultivating talent, you know? Mm-hmm. So We'll talk a little bit more about Virginia's impact on Dave. And then we're going to get into three rock moms who I chose out of the book. Now, there are many, and I'll tell you who they are when we get to them. I'm not going to spoil the surprise. Okay. I think you'll like who I chose. And then uh, towards the end of the episode, I'll tell you all of the other kind of people that you could, if you were to read this book or, I guess, watch the series now, um, you can see many other mothers and their rock kids. Oh, I'm excited. So Virginia bought Dave an inexpensive acoustic guitar at a very young age. And while she might have expected him to play some classical guitar, he was really more inspired by Rush, the Beatles, Neil Young. So he was off to the races. He preferred figuring it out for himself with the neighborhood kids as opposed to taking lessons. So he did take lessons and they were fairly short-lived. Always encouraging his love of music, Virginia even encouraged him when he switched to drums and played in two punk bands starting when he was 15 years old. Cool. These bands were called Mission Impossible and Dane Bramage. (laughs) Clever. Virginia chaperoned him at his gigs because many of them were, you know, like no alcohol and they were young. So you probably had to have a parent be there. So she really encouraged him and she went along and maybe punk music wasn't her favorite, but she saw the value in it regardless. Yeah. She's not a regular mom. She's a cool mom. She's a cool mom. And she would prove to be even cooler because soon Dave quit school and joined a band called Scream. 
Wow. Yeah. So even though Virginia was a teacher herself, she encouraged Dave to take this opportunity. He didn't thrive in a standard classroom setting. So instead of learning in the classroom, she knew he'd be learning by traveling the world. She also valued that kind of education. She says, touring the United States and Europe provided the opportunity for an education that going to another American history class or doing another math assignment couldn't compare to. I thought it was a great idea. I was sorry I couldn't go along. Uh-huh. That is so cool, though. And that's something most parents don't really consider. It's like, n- figure out what your child is good at, what they're not good at, where they excel, and guide them toward that, you know? Mm-hmm. I think he seemed like the kind of kid who got A's and F's. He yeah. loved what he loved, and he did <laughs> well in what he loved, and he just left what he didn't like Mm -hmm. and it's cool to hear a teacher not just a parent but a teacher saying you know not everyone needs to be the best at math you know she said it's like the school system and how it's built that lets the children down and not the other way around yeah we can't discuss dave and virginia Grohl's musical journey and band evolutions without talking about nirvana Virginia has a chapter of her book dedicated to the band, and she begins it by telling the reader that she has a box of memories saved from the time Dave played with Nirvana. Dave's band Scream had taken him to Seattle, Washington. They completed a successful tour of Europe, limped across the United States, as she puts it, and then disbanded. Once that happened, Dave auditioned for Nirvana in Aberdeen, Washington. They were on their fifth drummer. He got the gig, of course. Dave moved in with Kurt Cobain and learned the music of this new band, Nirvana. I'm all excited. (laughs) Virginia says that many parents had told her that she was crazy to have let Dave go, that he was too young. It doesn't sound like she regrets it, though. Six months after joining Nirvana, the band signed with a major label and recorded Nevermind. They replaced Michael Jackson as number one on the Billboard 200, and a few months later, they were recognized everywhere they went. She says, enter the press. TV, newspapers, magazines, all of them, all of the time, everywhere. Yeah. She also says, three short dramatic years, that was all. In the end, one gunshot. Searing pain, irreversible loss. The music stopped. Left in this wake of misery were Kurt's mother, wife, daughter, and two bandmates, all bereft but still hounded by the ever-hungry press who hoped to record their anguish. Most of them were rendered speechless by the power of that loss. And so this brings us to our first rock mom, besides Virginia, Wendy Cobain O'Connor. Oh, I'm already like, yeah, yeah, you can pick some good ones. (laughs) Virginia and Wendy met in New York in 1992. This was Nirvana's weekend at MTV and Saturday Night Live. Virginia thought that Wendy didn't look that much older than the boys in the band. If you've seen pictures of her, she's got like long blonde hair, bangs, super cute, really beautiful. The two had an instant connection. They both bragged in a very you know, loving way about their sons. Wendy telling her that Kurt had been writing as long as she could remember on walls, in notebooks, on his shoes. I quote, She said that she and Kurt had always been close, even though family circumstances often separated them. Kurt had wanted his mother there the night of Saturday Night Live, and when he was looking at the stage, appearing lost, Wendy told Virginia that he was looking for her because he always looked for her. She says it made him feel safe because he was always scared. 
Oh, Kurt. Do you know what situation she's talking about that separated them? Yes. Um, his parents got divorced when he was really young, and that definitely affected him. And I think both of the parents ended up in other relationships. And he had a sister. And I think it wasn't it wasn't like either parent really made an effort to make him part of the family that they the new family they kind of created or he felt like he was an outsider so it affected his family dynamics because um he felt lonely i think and unwanted when when the split happened okay thank you you're welcome she didn't go into detail but i was like i think i know someone who might know yes (laughs) wendy was the first rock mom that virginia had ever met They kept in touch over the years, although it has been painful. Wendy would send notes, photos of Frances, her granddaughter, and they saw each other at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame reunion in 2014. She had worked on a film project that would tell Kurt's story, thinking that it would be a therapeutic experience and process. However, the documentary devastated her since she was portrayed as an uncaring and distant mother. Yeah. She couldn't handle any more pain, and she's almost never given any interviews yeah so for the book they decided not to do a typical interview but rather recalled memories of kurt and his sweet and shy nature two of virginia's favorite memories of kurt are of him outside with dave and some friends in the sunshine and he's laughing that's when virginia snapped a photo of him she uh, she includes this like a really nice photo of kurt smiling like laughing yeah Another was at the reading festival in England when Kurt said to the audience, guess what? Today is Dave's mom's birthday. Let's sing to her. And then he pulled her on stage and the fans sang happy birthday. Of Wendy, Virginia says, Wendy wants to hold on to moments like that. Sunshine, smiles, and celebrations have been rare commodities in her life. As her friend, I hope that someday she will get her share. Oh, Wendy. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because in that situation too, Kurt never got to live into his adult life where that kind of family healing probably would have been natural in conversations that maybe, you know, he was too young or too vulnerable at the time to have, you would have had that maybe further down the line, but sadly they don't, but at least she has the good memories still. Exactly. Okay. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hold up. 
Do you like science fiction? I'm Carrie Bechet, and if you loved movies like Arrival or Interstellar, then you're going to want to check out my podcast, Hypothetical. On Hypothetical, we tell speculative sci-fi stories interwoven with real science. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get podcasts. Now it's time to move on to another rock mom. Let's go to Verna Griffin, mother of Andre Young, better known as Dr. Dre. Oh. For more information on Verna in her own words, you can li- you can read Long Road Out of Compton, her autobiography that was published in 2008. Oh, interesting. I'm going to write that down and maybe we'll check that out sometime. Mm-hmm. Verna was born in Long Beach, California in 1949 to a single mother. Verna's grandparents were sharecroppers in Texas. She's proud of her enterprising grandparents. Virginia writes, looking back, she, as in Verna, sees the lessons they left for their family as they translated their lives, limited by long-held practices of segregation, into a kind of prosperity not often achieved by those in their situation. They defied expectations by taking ownership of a sugar mill, becoming completely self-sufficient on their own piece of land. Hmm. So just giving a little bit of history into Dr. Dre's great-grandparents. Yeah, cool. Growing up, Verna loved to sing. Like Virginia, she also formed an all-girls singing group, and they called themselves the Four Aces. I love these women. Of course, their kids ended up in music. Oh, yeah, not just in music, but like some of the most successful artists of our time. Makes sense. Yeah. She loved singing at neighborhood parties. And she actually met a boy in a singing group of his own, and Verna fell in love. Verna also became pregnant at the age of 15. Wow. So they married, and she became, she became the mother of Andre Ramel Young, Dr. Dre. My goodness. As a, yeah. As a baby, he needed music around him at all times. Apparently, he hated the quiet. So Verna played all kinds of music, and during the year of his birth... That was the year of the Four Tops, the Temptations, Marvin Gaye, the Supremes. So he was surrounded by the best of the best. Yeah. She built quite the record collection and in later years would encourage Dre to DJ when friends came over. Cool. Like you, you choose the yeah. music. Going back, while Verna cradled her four-month-old baby in Compton, around her was a war zone ablaze with the Watts riots of 1965. Almost every major city experienced race riots that year. Virginia writes, It also led to the emergence of new voices in an expanded political and music scene. The Black Power Movement, the Black Panther Party, and other forces raised issues that had fueled the riots as our country struggled to come to terms with disparities in housing, employment, basic rights, and opportunity. This was Dre's birthright, which he would translate to the underlying themes of his lyrics years later when he became a part of NWA. Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Dre would go from the arms of his frightened teen mother to eventually becoming one of Forbes' lists of world's most powerful people and a billionaire. June 19th would be celebrated as Dr. Dre Day in Compton, California. Wow. Wow. And we're going to go back again a little bit to talk about the woman who made him into that man. Verna became a single mother when she divorced Dre's father, which... You get married at 15, 16 years old. It's bound to happen. And so while she worked to take care of him, 
and Dre was looked after by his cram- grandparents. Now, it's important to note that another very special person in his life would become very influential, and that was his grandmother who began, began teaching him and reading poetry to him at the age of three. I love all these women just taking charge and building them up and ah, mm-hmm. so cool. Verna encouraged him to follow his interest in DJing after he had seen a DJ, a DJ scratch a Grandmaster Flash record. In 1984, Verna bought Dre the ultimate Christmas gift, a mixer that would combine recorded and live sounds to create new music. He formed a group called Freak Patrol and worked in a nightclub DJing weekends. Verna drove him and his friends to the club for 9 o'clock every Saturday night and returned to pick them all up at 1 a.m. Oh, Verna is such an amazing woman. Love it. Dr. Dre, the master of mixology, was born in large part because of his mother, Verna. Yeah. Verna has faced hardships, losing one of her sons, Tyree, to gang violence. Verna is an incredible woman. And while Dr. Dre has been financially generous with her, Verna has always wanted to maintain her independence and had enrolled in the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising to study textiles and pattern making to pursue her own dreams. That's so cool. And it's important to remember, too, like, when Dre was in his early 20s, she's just in her mid 30s. She's mm-hmm. like our age, which is crazy. And of course, like you'd want to grow and live your own life too. I think she actually became a grandmother by like 31 or 33 years old. Ah, oh, it's wild. Once her kids are grown, she's still a young woman. And I'm mm-hmm. so happy she found a, a passion in fashion. <laughs> yes. And with that passion, some of the things that she created were authentic African and she would also hold exhibits to showcase them cool virginia upon visiting verna says that she's happy and secure in her beautiful la home and at the time the book was written verna was caring for her 85 year old mother working on her new fashion line staying involved with school activities for her 15 grandchildren and nine great-grandchildren my goodness that is a big family In 2016, Verna's fashion line was up and running as an online boutique. She doesn't mention on the site that she's the mother of Dr. Dre. She says, I want my fashion to sell my name, not my name to sell my fashion. And being the mother of Dre, she says, I feel like I too have accomplished something. That's what I wanted for my children to grow up and make something of themselves to do better than me. That makes me very proud. Yeah, that's exactly the kind of parental support that we all need and should get so good for her yeah what a badass yep all right so moving on to the last mother that i'm going to showcase in this episode but there's so many great ones in the book and i'm sure the documentary is fantastic as well we're going to talk about somebody who seems to be kind of a friend of virginia They actually live pretty close to one another, just a mile apart. And so they got together at Virginia's house over lunch to discuss the daughters, Esty, Danielle, and Alana Heim. Oh, so I like that you picked like different genres, different uh, generations. This is cool. There are so many different genres and generations that she covers in the book, too. Like, she talks to Getty Lee, Rush's mom. She talks to one of the Beastie Boys' moms. She talks to Amy Winehouse's mom. Ooh, 
Oh, I'm gonna have to read this. She talks to oh, what's the guy from REM? Michael Stipe. Yeah, talks to his mom. So there's so many great ones. Cool. And I really encourage everybody to. I hope they make like a second book, or I guess continue it with the series yeah there's like other ones that i was like not super interested in um but i still read because they're great and she does a great great job like miranda lambert kelly clarkson josh groban gotcha all right so let's talk about donna heim donna grew up in philadelphia in a musical household herself donna's mother had a beautiful voice so that's the heim sister's grandmother Mm -hmm. and they'd sing and dance around the living room together Donna's mother bought her her first guitar and Donna picked up the instrument naturally. So she too was a musician. Of course. She loved taking lessons, figuring out chords and found her voice. In high school, she was part of Philadelphia's music scene. When she was 15, Donna was invited to visit her aunt in Los Angeles and it changed her life. Donna's family ended up moving to L.A., and eventually she would attend UCLA for art education. Hmm. Fun little fact. Once she became a teacher, she would become a teacher to Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh, no way. Yes, who recently has directed like six of high. That's right. That's right. I always wondered how they got together. That makes sense now. Yeah. But before that, she played in bands with her friends And then she met Mordecai Moti Haim through mutual friends. He was preparing to return back to Israel when they met, but you know what young love can do to a man. (laughs) He was a drummer and they shared their passion for music and travel. And Donna would eventually love visiting his family in Israel before they settled in LA, got married and had their daughters. Cool. So no surprise, the girls grew up with all kinds of music in their household. They listened to Donna's favorites, pop and folk And Moti's favorite, Latin percussive sounds. Nice. And of course, the radio at the time. Each girl started piano lessons at age four, and they were always singing and harmonizing from a young age. Like, they were just born to be rock stars. Yeah. They even played as a family band, like mom and dad included, called Rockenheim. (laughs) Cute. (laughs) The sisters were in choir, in performances, and always went to schools that highlighted the arts and music. Esty loved being in plays, and the girls all aud- and yeah, the girls all auditioned and got into performing arts high school. So that there was one in LA, and apparently it was so competitive it was named Fame, nicknamed Fame High. Gotcha. The sisters also worked part-time jobs because Donna wanted to instill work ethic in them. Apparently, Esty heard that waitresses with Southern accents make more money. And since she was so good at theater, she'd put on a Southern drawl and make huge tips. (laughs) Have to use that sometimes. (laughs) Esty graduated from UCLA in two years with an ethnomusicology degree. Nice. Danielle enrolled at UCLA, but quit to go on tour with Jenny Lewis's band at the age of 19. Oh, I did not know that she toured with Jenny. I love Jenny Lewis. Yeah. I think Donna was a little bit more hesitant to let her go, but I think it was Danielle's father that said, you know, we can trust her. I think she's going to be okay. I think we should let her pursue this path. So kind of like Virginia and Dave, like, yeah, let her drop out of school and and tour with Jenny Lewis. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Let him drop out of school and tour with Scream. (laughs) 
Uh, Danielle went on to play shows with Julian Casablancas and CeeLo Green after that. Oh, cool. And everything turned out fine. It certainly did. When the sisters played together as a band, Donna and started performing together, Donna and Moti became their road crew, attending all gigs, being both manager, driver, and roadie, and they loved it. Of course, we know the Heim sisters would become huge, and the parents had to take a step back. Donna and Modi have a real estate business and travel with their daughters as they tour the world and have even reunited Rockenheim for a few charity gigs. Oh, that's so cool. Heim and Foo Fighters have played together on the same stage with Stevie Nicks to perform Stop Dragging My Heart Around. Backstage, Virginia and and Donna couldn't have been prouder, feeling like a real rock and roll family. Virginia writes, Haim will be making music together for a very long time in perfect three-part harmony, assuring the legacy of this extraordinary musical family. Yeah. It's interesting also how they all stem from not just musical families, but seemingly tight-knit families and with families that know how important it is to have that connection, you know? and support each other yeah yeah absolutely on being a rock mom virginia writes as mothers we often felt alone we didn't know what to do and we flew solo most of the time without flight manuals or guidebooks many of us struggled through these challenges pre-internet quite a few of us were single parents many had little or no money it sounds like she wouldn't change a thing though Mm mm-hmm Virginia loves traveling with Dave, the band, and their families. She always loves hearing the line, My Sweet Virginia, in the song Arlandria, which is about her. And of course, through her son, she was able to meet her idols, like Paul McCartney, Brian May, and Prince Harry. Oh, that's so cool. I love that she's a fangirl as well. Yeah, there's this really cute picture of her in the book, just kind of like hands clasped together looking up at prince harry giggling and he's <laughs> saying something and dave's laughing and she's like that moment is completely blank for me but by the pic by judging by the picture it looks like we're having a good time that's so funny and then of um having dinner with paul mccartney she said that she pretty much would kind of work it into conversation all the time i had dinner with paul until her friends were like please stop <laughs> <laughs> if i had had dinner with paul mccartney that is my opening line for every sentence for the rest of my life. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Of his mother, Dave says, but beyond any biological information, there is love, something that defies all science and reason. And that I am most fortunate to have been given. It's maybe the most defining factor in anyone's life. Surely an artist's greatest muse. And there is no love like a mother's love. It is life's greatest song. We are indebted to the women who have given us life. For without them, there would be no music. Ah, what a great line. And that's it. Short and sweet. A couple of rock moms. This one's for the moms. Yeah, that was great. I'm curious if there's any moms listening who have kids who love music. Because I'm sure if you're listening to us, like you, you love music, right? And- yeah, we've definitely met a lot of dolls through our workshop. And we know like Patty Johnson has gone to shows with her daughter. And we know a couple. Yeah, 
Yeah, I definitely know some mothers that have followed or some daughters that have followed in their mother's footsteps of being lovers of musicians yeah. and fans and everything. And yeah, yeah, that was great. I, well, I did a rock daughter not too long ago. And then I was like, oh, let's do some mothers again. So yeah, I'm glad you thought of it because this is what we want to do here. We want to not just support, but give a voice to and teach everyone about all these incredible women that you don't know about and yeah I had no idea about all of them so thank you I really want to look for Verna's book Long Road out of Compton yeah just to hear that story in more detail like that was just a brief overview but it would be wonderful to hear that story in detail yeah she certainly sounds like she's had a fascinating life and I'm so glad everything's worked out for all of them and that they get to participate and enjoy their children's success as well. Well, mo- yeah, most of them. This, most aside of them. from Wendy, whose yeah. story is so tragic, mm-hmm. but yeah, I like the way Virginia talked about it, and she seemed just very respectful of you know Wendy's privacy. And just recalled memories that they had together and included a really sweet photo of the two of them. And yeah. Yeah. It is interesting because, of course, again, with Kurt passing so early and in his songs, he does kind of cover the feelings that he had as a child of being unwanted and things like that. Like something in the way, for instance, that song is about feeling that way and um I'm sure, of course, once Frances Bean came along, I think she lived with his parents for a while, like Wendy, maybe. So at least she has that family support through them as well. And did you see the documentary that I was referring to? It She didn't name the documentary in the book. Um, I've seen a couple. I'm guessing maybe Montage of Heck. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't well, say the again. The book was written in 2017. And it sounds like it was pretty recent. Yeah, it was maybe around that time. Yeah, that's the last one. I have that on my wall over here. (laughs) So you liked it. You have the poster. Yeah. um, Yes, I liked it. And again, I don't think it's necessarily that she looks bad. We always have to remember, too, like feelings are strong so even though I'm sure she was there and you know probably wanted to be there more than she was um for a child feeling it like you're feeling it so extremely right Mm -hmm. so I think for people just to immediately write off like neglectful parent because we know that Kurt felt neglected doesn't necessarily mean like terrible parent it just means like I said they they got divorced they built other families and you're trying to find your place in that too right so it's always an interesting families are interesting that's you know Mm -hmm. right who's um who's other like who else would you be interested in hearing about uh the amy winehouse's mom i'm trying to remember janice that was a really interesting story um eddie vedder he's also talked about his parental issues in music and that would probably be a really interesting one too and to know you know where his mother's at now and all of that I would love to hear that um yeah so many actually 
Yeah. And I know Courtney Love's dad did like um, a terrible documentary on her. I think he made it like she killed Kurt. Mm-hmm. So some of us get lucky with very supportive parents who are like truly there for you and then not others not so much but yeah I'm glad uh I'm glad to hear some happy mother stories because yeah 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 all right well that's it for today if you want more muses head over to tiktok at muses pod instagram patreon patreon we're everywhere send us an email musespod at gmail.com always happy to hear from you thank you so much for listening thank you so much for supporting us yes and see you back here next week yes or you can find us on the stereo app on tuesdays as well so check that out we usually will make a post about it on our socials before to tell you guys what we're talking about this week so keep a lookout and join us sometime all right we'll see you there see ya bye Muses is researched, edited, and produced by us, Chantelle Mew and Lynx O'Leary. Have you ever watched a futuristic sci-fi movie and wondered, but wait, could any of this really happen? And will I live long enough to see it? That's what our show Hypothetical is about. I'm Carrie Bechet, and on this podcast, we ask what-if questions about the future. Like, what if we could read minds? What if the world's digital data was erased all at once? What would happen if the Yellowstone supervolcano erupted? Then we explore that question two ways, through speculative science fiction and through dialogue with brilliant scientists. The result is a genre-bending narrative that's interwoven with real facts provided by literal geniuses. And, spoiler alert, a lot of the science fiction out there, it's not nearly as far-fetched as you might think. Come time travel with me into the future on Hypothetical. New episodes on Tuesdays, available on all your favorite podcast apps. Just search Hypothetical. That's H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L.